1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. Uh, and this is where we ended last week. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Suffering is a part of Christian living to perfect us, to establish us, to strengthen us, and to settle us. We looked at Hebrews chapter 2.10, For became him, for whom all are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. To him be the glory, verse 11, of our text and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The end result of suffering is the glory of God. Amen. Period. So be it. Verse 12. <clears throat> By Silvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand now. Here we have the understanding. I mentioned it last week. Peter is the author, but it was Silvanus who wrote it. I find that kind of an interesting thing that God, you know, it's God's word, and he, but he uses instruments and, and different people. Verse 13 says, The church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, and who was those who was elected with you? you got to remember those, uh, the scattered ones. He said in Bithynia, Pontus, Galatia, and Cappadocia. He says, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus, my son. Now, Babylon. <clears throat> now, some have reasoned this scripture uh, as Peter using this figuratively as Rome. Okay? Um, but the practicality of Peter's writings really doesn't support this. You really, really have to read into that, but it's, it's something that some religions um, look at to justify some things in their teachings about Peter and who he was. Um, but it's just not there, folks. Um, I, I look at it. Um, remember, we were saying these were scattered. We know this was written in the time when the book of Revelation was talking about the seven churches in Asia and if you look at the order of them, um, if you want to remember this, um, it starts here, Ephesus, and then it goes all around. I can't remember them all in order right off the bat, but those are the seven churches. And they said they were scattered. Um, I don't believe that they, they were scattered from persecution going and scattering toward Rome. They went this way. This is the area. And... <clears throat> Babylon would have been a little northeast of Jerusalem. So there would have been a connection. We, we know by the teaching this morning, there was, there was Jews in Babylon, okay, into that area. There's Jews scattered all over. Um, and they had different languages. We know that in Acts when uh, they spoke in tongues. They spoke in each of the different, everybody heard in their own language. They were scattered all around. They would come back to Jerusalem. He says, now, the church that is at Babylon elected together with you. There's that term election again. Uh, God all foreknowing all things. Saluteth you, and so doth Marcus, my son. Now, who is Marcus, my son? Well, John Mark, often 
just called Mark is the author of the Gospel of Mark. And this is known by, it was, it was the early belief that the, the, the early church uh, credited that to John Mark, uh, that, that he was Mark uh, that um, penned the Gospel of Mark. He's first mentioned as the son of a woman named Mary in Acts 12, 12, whose house was being used for a place of, for believers to gather and to pray. Later, Mark is mentioned as a companion of Barnabas and Paul during their travels together, and that's in Acts 12, 25. John Mark was also Barnabas's cousin, and we know that from Colossians 4, 10. So now you can kind of start to put some of these together. John Mark was a helper on Paul and Barnabas' first journey in Acts 13, 5, but however, he did not stay through the whole trip. John Mark deserted Paul and Barnabas and Pamphylia and left the work uh, as, listen, Acts 15, 38. Now, the Bible doesn't say why Mark deserted them. But sometime later, after Paul and Barnabas had returned from their first journey, Paul expressed a desire to go back to the brothers in those cities they had previously visited to see how everyone was getting along in the faith. And that's in Acts 15, 36. Now, Barnabas <laughs> agreed to go on this journey um, <clears throat> but upon the provision that they take his cousin, John Mark, with him. Now, Paul refused to have Mark on the trip, kind of citing that Mark's previous desertion. <laughs> Paul thought it best not to have a quitter with them. They needed someone more dependable. Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement during that time about John Mark and wound up separating from each other, going on separate journeys. Barnabas took Mark. John Mark with him to Cyprus, and Paul took Silas with him through Syria and Sicilia. Now, John Mark sails off to Cyprus with his cousin Barnabas, but that is not the end of that story. Years later, he is with Paul, who calls him a fellow laborer in the book of Philemon, which we had talked about, if you remember that. Uh, so something has changed, and near the end of Paul's life, he sends a request to Timothy from a Roman prison in 2 Timothy 4.11. He says, only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry in 2 Timothy 4.11. Obviously, John Mark had matured through the years, had become a faithful servant of the Lord, and he seems to be a younger person. Um, as far as a group with the group of the apostles, Paul recognized his progress and considered him a valuable companion. Now, John Mark wrote the gospel that bears his name sometime between A.D. 55 and A.D. 59. Now, there is, as you might find this interesting, could be a veiled reference to John Mark in his book, Mark 14, 51 through 52. The fact that this and, and this was an incident where it's only written in the book of Mark, and it talks about a, a, a man who was veiled, apparently coming, coming toward Jesus when he was taken captive, uh, when Judas led the group to him. And they went to take this man also, and it says... Uh, he fled from him, and his veil was taken off, and he went away naked. And it's just kind of like a strange thing in the middle. So some scholars kind of 
lean to the thought that that was, that was Mark. He's speaking in the third person in, the, in that gospel. Who knows? But now we see Peter referring to Marcus as his son. Now Marcus, or John Mark, or Mark, was not Peter's natural son. But rather his son in the faith. We might say Mark was to Peter as Timothy was to Paul. That's kind of what it seems like here. Now verse 14, he says, Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, I'm going to go on a rant on this little verse here. Um, Just where the Lord led me. So greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. Now let's just leave this with a handshake of fellowship in our culture. All right. Now you have Bible principle and cultural differences. And I just want to make a clear statement here. Bible principles can be supported by various means of cultural expression. A kiss on the cheek, you see it, you know, some they greet, you know, it's a kiss on each side of the cheek. Or with us, a handshake. We have not violated the Bible principle. We are to greet one another. If we're a church that just kind of comes in and goes out and we don't greet each other, we're violating biblical principle. We're to greet each other. We're to have fellowship one with another. Now, but cultural differences must never violate biblical principle. For instance, a lack of clothing that covers the body, though it may be cultural in some areas, it violates the biblical principle of modesty, of being covered. Now beware of the world's deception. It is old as Satan himself. There's always a partial truth with what he is selling you. May I say down the road with. Down the road of desensitization to the, and all you've got to do is listen to the radio and listen to what they say on the radio in advertisements. It's appalling. It shouldn't be said. We're just desensitized to it. I don't even think about the stuff anymore. Just, just how it is. Everybody's being desensitized. Desensitized to the end of violating God's principle of modesty. Modesty is way beyond clothing. It deals with every aspect of our life. Immodesty is simply, immodestly, is simply the promotion or recognition of self. It is getting the attention of others. Attention can be enhanced by a lack of clothing. (laughs) And you may not have thought it this way, but you can violate modesty by having too much clothing. A football quarterback named Joe Namath was known for wearing a long mink coat that more than covered his body. But it was all about look at me. You you see what I mean? I'll tell you what, the devil is wanting us to really, he he loves when we nitpick and we start measuring and and all these, these sort of things when it's a heart issue. When we get modesty right, we will do everything we can to get people 
to not look at us <laughs> and to get people to look at Jesus. People want attention to themselves. The more different you make yourself, the more strange, the more exotic the passions, <laughs> the more we get others' attention. The amplifier is social media. So once you get that crazy thing and whatever and me and mine, look at me, and then you plaster it all over and tell everybody to look at me. That's immodesty. <laughs> Maybe not a thought about that way. But remember, immodesty is getting about, it's all focused on you and look at me. What people don't realize is that in their passion to be different, they all become the same. That's what the world does. They're all, look at me, folks. You're just the same as everybody else in the world. You know, God's called us out to give us individuality. What people think is individuality and putting all this stuff all over them, they just look like everybody else in the world. They all become the same, worldly and selfish. People who are stuck in this mode spend their time and money and or their parents' time and money in advertisements of themselves. They don't have time to study God's word, pray, and to work. <laughs> a lot of these people don't have a very good work ethic either that they might have to give to those in need because they are number one. When we should be focusing on other needs. Philippians 2.4, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. What does this have to do with 1 Peter? Remember some of the recurring themes? It all points to modest behavior. Getting people not to see you, but to see God at your expense. Suffering. Giving. At your expense. So that others may not see you, but glorify your Father, which is in heaven. That is, that is quite a task, folks. Okay, now let's dive into 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Peter first identifies his audience, which is common. But this time, he is not as specific of his audience. He has a general address to fellow Christians. He says this in verse 2 and, and moving forward. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Peter's words are again repetitive. Grace and peace and all things multiply in your life. How? Through knowing Jesus, through his word. The fullness of the Christian life is contingent. And, and this will play right into Sunday school this morning. 
It's contingent on your willingness to seek God. He says that ye might be partakers of the divine nature. This is, this is what gave David a full life. He was a man after God's own heart. He purposed to know God. Then Peter gives the most repetitive theme, the contrast between the old man and the new man. He is saying, know who you were. Corrupt, lost, powerless, poor, and slave to your flesh. But know who you are. All-powerful and rich in Jesus Christ. Seek to use it. The perfect Christian life is achieved by always being in a state of growth. Until you dump your fleshly bucket lists and make a spiritual bucket list, you are headed down a bad road. I'm asking you today to think about that, to determine to make God, His Word, His church, make these your goals in life. You may have other things you do. You may or may not get them. Those shouldn't have importance. But if there's things in the Word of God that you don't understand, that you would like to know, hopefully you have that desire. Okay? Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. That you want to know Him more, that you want to... Um, be able to understand some things, be, be able to serve him more, that these things are the things that become on your bucket list. These are the important things. Verse 5, he says, And besides this, giving all diligence, diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. He says, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here Peter gives us what it takes to go beyond just being saved. He is describing growth or sanctification, and we talked about that, and being holy. All these attributes are tied together in a growth order. It begins with faith and ends with charity or true love, what love really is. We are to give all diligence to virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, charity. But not only does he say to give all diligence, which diligence speaks of our effort, okay, He doesn't give us an E for effort here, S for satisfaction. <laughs> Remember those grades? He also tells us that we are to have results. He says they are to abound in our life. These things are to abound. They're, they're to be real. They're to come out. They are to work. Now, Peter tells us we have two choices as a Christian. Choice number one is to die as a Christian. Choice two is to live as a Christian. Choice one, he says in verse nine, but he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off 
and had forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. You know, sometimes we, if you can imagine, this, this is what a Christian looks like. If we've seen them, um, sometimes you'll get a child out there and you put a bat down and he puts his head on the bat. And Joel's really good at this. <laughs> and you spin around, spin around, and then you walk. That's kind of like what this is, this is talking about. If you don't do these things, you're going to walk around life all confused, falling over, not knowing what's, what's up. There's a saying in the business world, and it applies to the Christian life as well, you cannot remain the same. You're either in the process of growing or you are in the process of dying. I was noticing sometimes, maybe you'll notice, even the greatest, biggest companies, okay, they're established. Uh, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, um, whatever you want to think of, those big names. Do you notice how much advertising they do? Shouldn't they be able to just sit down? They've established themselves, McDonald's. But they have to advertise. They cannot sit still. They know it. They're either, they don't, they die. There's some really good uh, soda pop out there, you know, like say RC Cola, but they don't advertise. <laughs> One time they advertised and they were a lot bigger. You see, how many Christians are failing to grow? They find themselves, what they find themselves doing is doubting, unsure of what they believe. They get out of church. They struggle living in the flesh. They are tossed to and fro like a ship in the storm. They try to get through, get life through worldly pleasures, which they no longer have a belonging to. Hey, when you got saved, you can't find, you, you can't get satisfaction in the world anymore. You, you're not your own. But they go out there and they flounder in that. They lose their testimony, their purpose, and the ability to bless others. He gives us the other choice. That's one choice you can do. There's no middle ground, Christian. <laughs> he says, wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. If ye do these things, ye shall never fall. What he's describing here, he says, give diligence. Again, effort. This is why you are faithful to church, the word of God to prayer and being a witness. These things build assurance in your life. One makes you flounder, the other one makes you more confident in what you have. A growing Christian is a sure Christian. Fears and doubts go away, you become more sure of your salvation, you become more sure of your purpose. reading your Bible, praying, going to church, and you better be witnessing. This is what will build your surety. And this is what Peter's telling us to do. You know, when high schoolers go to college, you find two groups. One who know what they want to do and go hard after it. That's a few. 
<laughs> then there's another group who have no idea who they are, what they are, what they're called to do, changing their majors all along the way, just taking pleasure in all the evils surrounding college. Most drop out or graduate never using their degree. That's kind of a picture too. Peter is saying, hey, you, you're going to know. You're going to know what you're after. Know what God wants in your life. And you're going after it. And you're sure of it. Where the other one is, you just toss out. Just whatever. Living, living the life. Living the dream. <laughs> living the American dream. Verse 11. This is pretty important. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of people just go right over their, their head. What is he saying here? You know, it's one thing <clears throat> to experience the power of God in your life, but it is another wonderful thing to see heaven's door. To have a craving and a desire to cross that path of death, a desire rather to go to heaven, to meet Jesus. Though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. This is the victorious life that has an expected, desirable end. Remember, Peter was always telling you to look, look at, look at the end. And what he's saying here, he's saying an entrance shall be ministered to you Abundantly. Remember Stephen? He saw the heavens open. It's going to... It just gets good. You know where you're going. You're ready. You know, most people in this world, when COVID came up, they're scared to death because of dying. I'm telling you, dying to the Christian is not a bad thing. Paul said, for I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. He says, I have fought the good fight. Can you say, and that wouldn't be a nice thing that Peter's saying, if you do this, just like Paul, you could say, I have done it. I have fought. I have finished. I have kept. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them that love is appearing. Love is appearing. Paul, Stephen, many others, and now Peter is personally attesting to his soon departure. His final words to us is to repeat Repeat, repeat to us the things we already know so we will not forget. He says in verse, beginning in verse 12, Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance knowing that shortly I must put off this, my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me. Remember when Jesus told him? 
but he's going to die too. Take you where you would not want to go. Speaking of his death, he remembered that. Verse 15, Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able, after my decease, to have things always in remembrance. Sometimes preachers repeat themselves a lot. You see, we can take a couple of paths in life, okay? Whether it's you or a pastor. We can say, we told them once, and that's all I'm required to do. Or out of love, we can repeat, repeat, repeat. It's kind of like a parent who only tells their child once to look before they cross the road. What parents ever told their children only once to look twice before they cross the road? That doesn't happen. Parents repeat, repeat, repeat to the point of criticism of repetition. Dad, you've told me that a million times. <laughs> I'm telling you again, son. Look both ways before you cross the street. You know, I, even with my kids down, you know, they get, a, they get a razor knife, you know, and they're about to cut something. I'll, I'll say, careful, John. I can't help it. I, you know I just want to say it, you know, maybe that might just help from that slip. I've, I've done it before, you know, they get out the saw, you know, I'll tell you what, we go through all those things. You know, the movie Nemo was all based on this thought. The love of a father to repeat, repeat, repeat what a son needed to be careful of and all the circumstances that happened because of that. If I repeat certain things, Take heed and receive it as an act of love, an act of concern. But I'm even willing to get beat up over it. Sometimes at work I wonder, why do I put myself in these situations? I just can't stand the thought of this thing falling apart because somebody's not willing to see what they need to see. And then I have to go in sometimes and say something that not taken very well, but I just, I'd rather do that than to just see it fall apart in front of me. A lot of people in their job, okay, I'll do it. Let's watch it fall apart, and it falls apart. I, I, I don't know. I, I have a desire to do that because it's such a pain in the neck. <laughs> but I can't get away from it. Peter couldn't get away from it. This is what Peter was. Verse 16 through 18, he says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we make known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard, when we were with him in the Holy Mount. Remember Peter, James, and John. They were there in the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter is closing his epistle where he started. His identification. He identifies as an apostle. And that all apostles' doctrine aligned. Thus his words are credible because there was people 
where it, the word was not credible. 1 Corinthians 12, 28 says, And God has sent some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles and gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Ephesians 2, 20, And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen, For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. See, there was ones who were claiming apostleship there. Revelation 2.1, under the angel of the church of Ephesus. This one right there. These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them, which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. That's a good thing. Now Peter gives what he calls something besides himself, <laughs> beyond himself, as an apostle and with the authority in what he is saying. Something that you can depend on. He, he tells us of a more sure word of prophecy. He's going to talk about the scripture. Verse 19. We also have a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first that no prophecy of the scripture is of any, is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Here Peter gives us something else that's even more sure. Remember the surety that we're to have as a Christian. That there will be the word of God, scripture. And it soon came after him. The word canon, the canon of the scriptures, comes from the rule of law that was used to determine if a book measured up to a standard. It's important to note that the writing of scripture were canonical, if I could say that right, at the moment they were written. Scripture was scripture when the pen touched the parchment. This is very important because Christianity does not start by defining God or Jesus or salvation. The basis of Christianity is found in the authority of the scripture. If we cannot identify what scripture is, then we cannot properly distinguish any theological truth from error. The criteria the church used for recognizing and collecting the word of God was as follows. Was the book written by a prophet of God? Was the writer authenticated by miracles to confirm his message, does the book tell the truth about God with no falsehood or contradiction? Does the book evidence a divine capacity to transform lives? Was the book accepted as God's word by the people to whom it was first delivered? Of these criteria, the one most important one was the first one was the book written by a prophet. Did the book receive apostolic approval? This was the chief test of the canon 
of the word of God in the early church. The criterion is a logical result of knowing what an apostle was. And you see Peter stating without apology, I'm an apostle. The apostles were gifted by God to be the founders and leaders of the church, so it's reasonable to accept through them came the word governing the church. Jesus called 12. He had a lot of disciples, and apostles are disciples, but not all disciples are apostles. He set this group aside for knowing that these were going to be the establishment of the early church. They were named, they were authenticated. This is the foundation of the New Testament, word of God, laid upon a rock, and that rock is Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, by his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And we're going to stop there. We didn't even make it to Second Peter. Let's pray. Father, What a wonderful epistle we have. And just knowing Peter. He's like a father to a son. Repeating himself, repeating himself, repeating himself. Knowing he's, he's going to go on to be with the Lord. Telling us we have two paths to take take the path of knowing so an entrance shall be ministered to you abundantly so our life will be full so we'll be confident so we'll be sure as a Christian as to avoid the other choice of stumbling and doubt and fears and concerns of circumstances in this world But we are to be diligent. We are to have diligence in working at that. What has the Lord put his finger on in this message this morning for you? May you say, yes, Lord, and do it. Like we were talking in the book of Haggai. The people responded in the right way to what the Lord said about them. And they did what they were supposed to do. Amen. Thank you for your attention this morning. Uh, we will get to Second Peter next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Peter, who you used to write these words, and, and, and just some of the things behind all of what is said. May it be rich into our lives as a, as a Christian. Now, Father, I pray you, your blessings upon the people here. Blessings are in obedience. So I pray, pray that they be obedient to your life, to stay clean so that they wouldn't make unclean the things that they do. Now, Father, we 
want to tell you we love you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.